Welcome to Fitch's Global Economic Outlook podcast for June 2018. I'm James McCormack, head of the Sovereign Team, and I'm here with Brian Colton, Fitch's Chief Economist. So, Brian, there's been a lot of high-frequency data across a range of countries pointing to weaker growth, and some of the Q1 outturns were a lot weaker than we expected. What is the primary cause of weaker growth in early 2018, or have there been different causes in, in different countries? I think there uh, have been an important number of sort of temporary influences that have influenced the Q1 numbers. That's not the whole story, but I think it's an important part of the story. The numbers, as you say, were weaker than we expected, primarily in Europe, not just in Europe, but primarily in Europe. And I, and I think the weather probably played a factor. I've been reading about polar vortex, the splitting of the polar vortex and, and unusual weather patterns, which led to the beast from the east and elsewhere. And it does, does look as if, relative to the last few years, the weather was unusually was unusually cold in Q1, and that's had an impact on spending. Uh, the Bank of England have looked at this in the context of the UK, but there's quite a bit of evidence. Uh, record number of sick days lost in Germany, for instance, in, 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 in January and February. So I think that was part of the story. Another sort of kind of technical issue that I think increasingly as China has become a bigger and bigger economy, it's, I think it's getting harder and harder for everybody else to seasonally adjust their data because the Chinese New Year happens at a different time in the quarter each year. And I think that's probably something we're seeing that in the trade data and a number of countries are, are seeing numbers that are unusually weak in Q1 and then they bounce back in Q2. I think there, there may be some influence from China. But I don't think it's just about temporary factors. And one of the things we've been looking at in the last few weeks is sort of examining the credit cycle in the Eurozone a bit more closely looking at this concept called the credit impulse, the change in the flow of new credit. And when we look at that, it's pretty clear that, that the story we're getting from that on the domestic side, the Eurozone economy probably peaked and growth on the domestic demand side is probably going to continue to slow. You know, we've seen that trend in the credit impulse. It's been weakening steadily over the last nine to 12 months, but that's been offset by the pickup in global demand. But as, as global demand has kind of stabilised at a high, high level, global demand growth has stabilised at a high level. And that's no longer offsetting this sort of underlying weakening of the credit impulse, a sort of second differential of credit growth, if you like. So that, I think, is part of the story that we're seeing is that there's nothing in the data, there's nothing in the numbers that suggests that the fundamental story of a, of a good growth picture in the near term in the Eurozone continues, but not as fast as it has been. And I think that's probably been behind the Eurozone numbers and, you know, some underlying softness in the UK as well, particularly on the consumer side. So, so where does that balance then leave us in terms of our GDP forecast for 2018 and 2019? Have we revised any downward significantly or, or as you've alluded to, some of these factors are already in play and in the numbers already? In terms of the pure number of countries, more downgrades than, than upgrades to our 2018 growth forecast. But if we GDP weight it, it kind of all balances out really because we're actually a little bit more optimistic about the US. Growth was a bit stronger at the end of 2017. There's been a carryover from that and the, and the high frequency data coming out of the US remains pretty strong. So we've actually nudged up our US growth forecast a little bit for 2018. Same for China. Q1 was a bit stronger. The April-May data pointing to that momentum continuing into the second quarter. You know, we, we had been expecting a slowdown in China for a while, and it keeps sort of defying that, even though the credit numbers have shown quite a slowdown in the last six months. The credit metric that we use has slowed from about 14.5% in October of last year to about 12%. So that's, that's quite a big change at the margin. We still think that that will impact China's growth going forward, but it's coming through less powerfully and a little bit later than we expected. So we've nudged up China as well. So we have taken our Eurozone growth forecast down, UK down a little bit. But net net, in terms of the global picture, it's pretty much the same as before, which adds up to a strong story.
Okay, and how about our interest rate projections? Based on what you just said, does that mean our interest rate expectations in terms of the policy reaction function of central banks is also unchanged? Certainly our view on the Fed, you know, which has been more hawkish in the market for a while, we're increasingly confident on that view. We think four rate hikes in total this year. The, the real striking development in the US in the data is the decline in the unemployment rate. We're at uh, 3.8 now. On our forecasts, uh, it's going to be the lowest since the 50s, 50s or 60s in, in terms of the annual average for 2018. So we're really moving into a very tight US labour market situation. All the various factors which people have been talking about as reasons why maybe there's more slack in the labour market. All of those arguments basically are being ticked off one by one. So the US labour market is, is very tight and tightening because the economy is growing above trend. So I think that's something that's going to give the Fed every reason to carry on normalising, and that's what we expect. I guess in the Eurozone, maybe a slight sort of shift of emphasis. We've done a, a sort of deep dive on the research front into the inflation story of the Eurozone since the last GEO, and the conclusion there is not that we think the, the trade-off between inflation and the economic cycle has fundamentally disappeared, but it does look as if there's more evidence now that the degree of excess capacity in the Eurozone is maybe bigger than than we and the ECB had previously judged there to be a year or so ago. So there's more downward pressure on inflation from the cycle. So I think what that means is that these very soft core inflation readings that we've had for a while now it's, it's going to be a slow process of getting inflation back up to the ECB's target. So this sort of slightly weaker growth numbers, I think, you know, we'll maybe see the, the ECB tapering the asset purchase program a, a little bit more slowly than maybe we previously thought, putting rates up uh, less rapidly in 2019. We previously expected two rate hikes in 2019. I think we're only, we're only going to get one now. The asset purchase program will probably be extended to the end of this year. Okay, let's change gears a little bit and talk about emerging markets. They've clearly benefited from higher commodity prices in the early part of the year, but they've also been faced with a stronger dollar, which is not a typical or usual combination that we see. Can you talk about some of the forces that we think are behind the dollar strength so far this year and what we think might be happening for the remainder of the year and whether you think a dollar reversal or an oil price reversal is more likely or neither? So we looked at the dollar story very closely in the last GEO in, in March, and the conclusion we came to then was that what had been driving dollar weakness in 2017 was a sort of uh, an interest rate story, but with a slightly different angle, which is it was, it was the it was the relative steepening or the relative flattening of the U.S. yield curve as the Fed was tightening rates, but three-year rates weren't going up. That was a, that that flattening occurred as the market sort of changed its view and did expect the ECB to be tightening more rapidly. So that, that worked very well in 2017. What's happened so far this year seems to be that that relationship is actually still working. But what's changed is that the, the surprises have been uh, actually more positive in the US and more negative in, in the ECB, uh, in, in the Eurozone on the growth front, such that the market has now scaled back its expectations of how fast the ECB is going to be raising rates over the next two or three years. So that relative flattening has moved back the other way and, and lo and behold, the dollar's moved with it. So it does still seem to be this. It's, it's, it, where are we going on, on interest rate expectations? And when I look at the, the balance of risks around our forecasts, uh, I think there's more upside risks in, in the US, I think, you know, given the extent of the fiscal easing that that we're seeing there, given how robust the private investment cycle is. We've got investment growth at over 5% this year in the US, and we've had some, some weaker data coming out of the Eurozone. So I certainly don't think the appreciation that we've seen in the dollar since the last GEO is, is going to be unwound at all. I, th I think that, that, that recent strengthening is here to stay.
quick thoughts on oil? So oil has surprised us on the upside. We've made a big upward revision to our assumption. We're now talking $70 for 2018 as a whole. That's up from a sub-60 number. Now, supply shock's been an important part of the story there with the reimposition of the sanctions on, on Iran. You know, Iranian output increased by about a million barrels a day after the sanctions were removed. Now, there may be some... Uh, response from OPEC and Russia to offset that to some extent. But we also think that some of the recent strength in oil prices is just reflecting the strength of the global economy and, and demand. You know, you've seen the EIA's estimates of 2018 demand have been ratcheting up over the last few months. And so if it's the demand side, we don't necessarily see that it's going to unwind particularly quickly, uh, that story. Uh, where we do see a response is from the shale producers. So we're seeing the U.S. recount start to rise again in, uh, quite quite sharply at sort of uh, seventy to eighty dollar range. That will be very attractive for the U.S. shale producers to, to ramp up production, and we think we will see that. So we do expect a decline in prices from here, but but maybe not so quick in the second half of this year. You know, we've still got a medium term view. The oil price uh, will, will revert to below sixty dollars, but we don't think we're going to get there until twenty twenty. It's going to be a relatively slow decline back to that equilibrium. Okay, that's a great segue to our final question, which is the June global economic outlook is our first look at the 2020 forecast. So what's the early view on 2020? What do we expect to see? Well, it's, it's, it's a ways off, but I think in the 2020 numbers that we've, that we've published, what you can see there is a view embedded that what we have at the moment in terms of global growth, particularly the advanced countries, is, is well above our estimates of medium-term growth potential. We don't think either the US or the Eurozone uh, can grow at the rates we're seeing this year uh, or indeed next year on, on a sustained basis. So this is a proper economic cycle. We're, we're, we're growing. You know, This is still I would characterise as kind of boom times in a way. So as we push the horizon out to 2020, I think what the message we're sending is growth is going to revert to something more in line with the economy supply side potential. As, as I mentioned before, you know, there's very little spare capacity left in the U.S. economy and, and it's, it's growing above trend, you know, and that really, you know, so we start to see an imbalance emerge there, essentially. You know, you could, you could envisage a scenario, you know, within the next, next couple of years where output is constrained in the U.S. by the by supply side. I mean, that's a complete change of uh, circumstances relative to the whole debate we've been having the last seven, eight years about secular stagnation, why is there enough demand growth? We could actually run into supply side constraints. Um, and obviously, you know, that, that brings with it the, the risk of inflation. So, you know, we're in a proper cycle now, proper upturn. And what follows a proper upturn is, is, a, is, is a downturn. And I think we're kind of hinting at that with our 2020 forecasts here. Okay, very good. Thank you, Brian. The next podcast in this series will be in September. Thank you for joining us.